If it's news to you, it's important to him. This is The Big Five with Elias Makos from Montreal's News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. Welcome, everybody, to The Big Five on The Elias Makos Show. Midweek, Wednesday, everybody. It's November 8, 2023. Let's get to it. On today's Big Five, Francois Legault tells the cops to do their job. Plus, the brewing AirPods Max scandal at Montreal's public consultation office. Before we do those things, let's give a shout-out. Shout-out goes to good water pressure. You know, I moved on Monday. Wasn't here on Monday. I moved on Monday, and uh, I did something I shouldn't have done. I shouldn't have done this. I, I mean, I should have checked the water pressure before I moved in, and I was worried. I said, when I move in, what if the water pressure is bad? Good news is, turned on the shower, it's fantastic. Can change your life when you've got great water pressure. A shout out to a good what to good water pressure in the shower, especially. Let's find out who's on the uh, big five this morning. Two special people. Justine McIntyre is with us. She's a strategic consultant and a former city councilor, and she's with us. Hi, Justine. Hi, Elias. Great to see your smiling face. We've also got Akil Aline with us. I see a mute icon on his image, so hopefully he'll unpress the mute. Here we go. Akil Aline is a reporter and commentator and the manager of the Gemstar Circle of Excellence. Hi, Akil. Morning, Elias. Morning. morning. Always great to be here. And it's uh, fun to talk to the both of you here. So, uh, guys, let's uh, get to the the big topics. I, I honestly, I wonder what what took so long because now we t- it took until Tuesday uh, for us to get the political reaction after genocidal hate speech was proudly put on display outside of Montreal's Place des Arts on Saturday. Francois Legault, the premier, had a direct message for the police: "Do your job." Other Quebec leaders followed suit calling for a hate speech investigation into Adil Sharkawi. Sharkawi riled up thousands uh, with, a, with a call in front of Place des Arts on Saturday. Uh, I'll, I'll just read a quick, I don't want to read the whole thing, but a, a quick thing, a uh, snippet of what he said at Place des Arts, in front of Place des Arts. Allah, destroy the arrogant Zionists. Allah, count every one of them and kill them all do not exempt even one of them. Okay, that's just a little snippet. So we had the political reaction. It finally came uh, yesterday. We talked about it on the Big Five as well. Um, so I, here's what I want to talk about. How should we be dealing with what we're seeing at these rallies? Is this a matter of the police looking at Canada's laws and quote-unquote doing their job? Or is it much bigger than this? Uh, Justine, you start. What's unfortunate is that somebody like Sharkawi and Sharkawi himself has become a spokesperson uh, for members of the Arabic community. And every time there's a rally, like the rally that we saw on, was it Saturday or Sunday? Saturday. Sorry. Saturday. Like the rally that we saw on Saturday, uh, he's there speaking. And my question always is like, who invited him and how is he the best spokesperson to represent the Arabic community? Is, how Justine, is, is that, is that really your question? Like, so yeah. he, he's always there because they're, and the crowd is, the, yeah. the crowd, the crowd is always like, yeah, when he says the, all that, those lines that I read, which I hate, so, I hate mm-hmm. even reading it. I hate even repeating no, it. Yeah, the cr- the crowd responds in the affirmative. Glee is the best word I have. Right. So, so that so answers we, the question. Exactly. And, yeah, well, it's a really, and that's why I'm asking the question, it's really disturbing. And I would like the members of the Arabic community, I would like the members of the Palestinian community to explain themselves on how he was invited and why he continues to be a spokesperson at events. Because he's a person who is dangerous, and here's why I think he's dangerous. He's, okay, he he had a, a security c- certificate 
Finally, it was removed because they weren't able to prove anything. There were suspicions regarding his involvement leading up to uh, the 9-11 incident and so on. But nothing was ever proven. So I understand that he, you know, he we're, we're in a country where you're innocent until proven guilty. He's not been proven guilty of anything. But he uses that and he plays with it and he walks on that fine line. We we know that, uh, for example, he he we've seen pictures of him on social media with a gun, and I think this is something that that we're going to be talking about as well. The fact that he's posting pictures of himself with a gun and that he has that gun legally, he's walking on a very fine line, and he knows exactly what he's doing. He's charismatic. Mm-hmm. He's a charismatic speaker. But when you combine charisma with dogma, mm-hmm. and then charisma and dogma with hate. That's a very, very dangerous mix so, and uh, something that we should stay away from. Let's uh, hold off on the, the gun portion of the story just for a second. I want to get to Keel's okay. thoughts. I want to get Keel's thoughts on the, the open hate speech that we have seen now for a month and the question of what should be done about it. The, the premier said, police, do your job. Is it that simple? Uh, Akil, your thoughts. I mean, in a country where hate speech is... Uh against the law where there are legal mechanisms for prosecuting it, then I suppose it should be, in principle at least, it should be enough for the police to do their jobs and investigate. And since he is using this kind of language about uh, about killing uh, people, populations of people and so on, uh, of course you have some hair-splitting defenses of his speech and so on, you know, some people trying to make excuses for it. But ultimately, you know, when you're calling for this kind of mass violence, uh, at the very least, you create a reasonable suspicion that you are engaging in hate speech at the very least. So I think there's definitely grounds for the police to to look into it and to investigate uh, at a bare minimum. So in that sense, uh, I think that um, Francois Legault has made at least one of the right noises, but uh, definitely without question, every right-thinking person in society should condemn this kind of speech. This is not legitimate pro-Palestinian speech or speech trying to defend the rights of the Palestinian people or even merely legitimate critique of Israel's policies or its its military operations in Gaza. I mean, you can't. He. I mean, he was calling in his speech, um, you know, for killing the so-called arrogant Zionists and so on. Now you're targeting people, um, you know, because of their mm. ethno-religious background. You're targeting people because of their beliefs in and of itself, uh, right? And you're calling on God to 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 punish them with death. And I don't see how you can do that and then turn around. Well, and claim so it's, uh, to it, be a defender it, of free speech, it's, right? It's all about, there's a reason why he uses the word Zionist, right? It's 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 that plausible deniability that he doesn't mean all Jews, mm-hmm. but we know what he means, right? Um, but you, Akil, what did you say? Right think, like, uh, like all right-thinking people wouldn't go along with this, right? I think you said something like should that just now. Should, should condemn it. Should condemn it, Okay, yes. so so then then who made up the crowd, uh, Akil? Like, were there no right-thinking people there? Because I haven't heard the voices from the crowd saying, my goodness, I was there. This is unbelievable. Why did this happen? I haven't. Where are the right-thinking people, uh, Akil? Good question. I would say there's a tendency in uh, when it comes to issues like this, particularly this issue of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, you know, uh, the the cause of defending uh, the interests of the Palestinian people and their quest for statehood is has been tainted for decades now by anti-Semitism, by uh, Islamic fundamentalism. And I think that's one of the, if probably the main thing, really holding back um, the Palestinian people from achieving their legitimate goals. You know, I mean, it, this is something that we've seen for years, for decades, for generations now, is that too much of uh, the discourse of criticism is, of Israel is just tainted by association with 
with characters like uh, Sharkawi. And I think until those right thing pe thinking people mm -hmm. uh, come out and say, look, we're not going to stand for this. We're not going to be associated with it in any way, shape or form. Uh, you know, that cause, the cause of, mm -hmm. you know, a two state solution to the conflict is always going to be tainted, is always going to be obstructed. And, and they're shooting themselves in the foot just on a practical level by even associating with. Well, so I, and I, as I, I said this yesterday on Twitter and now I'll repeat it on air. The Sharkawi being part of this was inevitable, right? The, a guy with his reputation was eventually going to be part of this. The, the real surprise, the thing we need to be up in arms over is the is the crowd that was applauding and happy yes. about it. That's I agree. the I big issue. Yes. Uh, I, I agree completely. Well, Can I just that say was, really... that was... Mm -hmm. Go for it. No, I, just, I, I just want to say very quickly, you're quite right, Eliza. I always say whenever anyone in society, any society, is engaging in this kind of extremist rhetoric, I always want to know what the crowd is saying. Mm. Who's in the audience? What's their reaction like? To me, that's where the danger really lies. There's always going to be mm -hmm. people like that in society, extremists of various stripes. The question is, how dangerous will they become when they develop enough of a following? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, here, mm -hmm. here's well, we know this. We know this because his, history teaches us this and people have written about crowd behavior in situations where you have somebody who's able to, who's very charismatic and who's able to rile up the crowd. And it is very dangerous. The stories making waves in Montreal. The Big Five with Elias Makos from News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. All right, we are back here on The Big Five this uh, morning. We're joined by Akil Aline, a reporter and commentator and manager of the Gemstar Circle of Excellence, and Justine McIntyre is a strategic consultant and former city councilor. Uh, uh, let's continue on this thread here. So speaking of Adil Sharkawi, um, it turns out he's got firearms that Justine uh, referenced with these social media posts, and the RCMP is okay with it. The RCMP can reject any request to acquire a weapon for, quote, reasons of public safety but has not done so for Adil Sharkawi, especially in light of what we saw over the weekend. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Akil, you go first. Uh, yes, it would seem to me that, um, can you guys hear me? Yep. Oh, yep. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's, uh, if there ever is a case where it's legitimate to, uh, you know, to impose a limitation on someone's ability to own firearms, I would think this would be it. And again, I think this is part of the larger question of, you know, whether he should be investigated for calling for the mass slaughter of a whole population for that kind of speech. I'm someone who doesn't actually generally agree with, you know, uh, censoring speech, even if it expresses hatred for a group. But when you start advocating violence is a different story. And even if you're technically couching it in terms of you want God to do it. Mm -hmm. That still is, you can easily see how that will incite people uh, yeah. to act supposedly on God's behalf. And when you have guns to boot, that's when the situation becomes more dangerous than ever. I think there is a, a, a legitimate case to be made that uh, this is an individual who should not be able to possess firearms. G guns and God. Did, didn't uh, Barack Obama say something about people that cling to guns and their religion? Um, and, 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 and it's always, it seems to be a bad mix. Uh, Justine, uh, you referenced it before here. Uh, of course, you know, this mm -hmm. is someone, CSIS had a security certificate on, on, uh, on this uh, guy and he's got firearms. Should we, should that be uh, revoked? If CSIS has a security certificate on somebody, it's really hard for me to understand how the RCMP could have allowed that person to acquire firearms. Now, what's interesting, meaning that no, he shouldn't, and it should have been denied. 
uh, it's interesting to look at the photos of of him with the firearm because it's he's he's posing with the firearm and he doesn't really look like he's hunting. He's wearing hunting gear. He's outside. But the the style of the pose is like a, a showing off kind of a I'm a combatant and I've got my weapon. So there's there's like a message at the same time. There's a message behind those posts. And again, he is he doing something illegal? I don't think so. He's he's got the certificate. He has the the right yeah. to own the gun. Uh, he's he's hunting. He's he's outside. He's wearing hunting gear. So it's all on the up and up. <laughs> and we're you know so. But he's again he's playing on that fine line. And I think there's also a fear of uh, because he's a person who has a lot of sway uh in his community there's a fear of well if we do something to this guy and it's not justified we're going to be accused of islamophobia mm. because that has now become an umbrella protection uh for people who want to people like sharkawi sharkawi who's been very active in promoting this notion of islamophobia yeah. and as as almost like a protection for being able to say whatever it is that he wants you yeah, know well so and, and, and by the way you know what listen whatever the rules are they need to be applied fairly and equally to everyone, right? So you you bring up yeah. a valid point. If the RCMP is so this is another question, maybe the RCMP is is turning a blind eye to a whole bunch of people that shouldn't have guns, right? So that's something that that's an important point because whatever rule you're gonna have, it has to apply to everyone. Um, okay, let me move it along here. I want to get to this uh, brewing scandal. I'm calling it, guys, because I think it works out so well, the AirPods Max scandal. Uh, should heads <laughs> roll for the expenses scandal brewing at Montreal's public consultation office? The independent body continues to stonewall journalists who are trying to find out more answers about these extravagant expenses. Journal, Journal de Montréal, the Bureau d'enquête de, that they've got, has sent out so many requests. They get redacted documents after redacted documents. Now, of course, we told you about the $350 oyster dinner from the old boss, Dominique Olivier. She was the president from 2014 to 2021. And we told you about the $900 Apple AirPods Max from the new boss, Isabelle Beaulieu. How big of a scandal is this? Let's listen to this program from yesterday when Dominique Olivier uh, joined us. And here's her explanation for the oysters. What I want to say is that at that time, in 2014, it was judged possible mm -hmm. and justifiable that you could have expen expenses up to $4,000 a year. And is, does, that, in, does that, that include I, a $350 oyster dinner in Paris? That's the one. That's the one I said. Like I said, uh, all our... Um, all our financial uh, statements have been audited. Mm -hmm. You know, this one, and that's the only one, if you, if you can, if you look, you know, they can keep, go back, go back, go back, go back, and it's always that one that they bring back. Mm -hmm. They don't bring 10 different examples. That was one example. And then take, at some point, everybody must say, okay, this was not, this was maybe not my best move, <laughs> you know? So, uh, Justine, I'll start with you. Is this an example? Oh, we're just cherry picking the one bad thing that happened over seven years? Or is this now a decade of the public consultation office, the OCPM, just not caring about how it uses its $3 million annual uh, budget? What really strikes me listening to Dominique Olivier when she gives these interviews is, is how she thinks she's doing a great job defending herself in the interview. And... In, in a certain sense, she is. She's she's sticking to her point, to her position and saying, this is defendable, this was allowed, that's why I did it. And she is right. 
but that's not the point of the interview. And what comes across is a person who's disconnected. Why do we keep going back to that oyster dinner is because it's so out of reach for most of us. And it's not that there aren't other expenses that we could also question. There were other things, but it would be nitpicking. And the reason that that one has stuck is because it really resonates with people. Like you were eating oysters in Paris and having champagne. Like who does that? And on the, on the public dollar on top of it, like, is there no, is there no feeling of shame? And that, that was perhaps something that, that she could have questioned at the time and said, maybe this isn't the right thing to do. You know, maybe we should be having our egg salad sandwich on the park bench, like every other government employee used to do back in the day. So that's, that's where the outrage is coming from. And that's what she's not addressing and doesn't even appear to understand that her public position is not about defending whether she was allowed to do that. It's about explaining how she thought that that was okay to do that with public funds. That's what I don't understand in this story. How has she not repositioned to understand that? And sure, now they're going to shift and say, well, you know, Dominique Olivier, we're going to brush that to the side because what's past is past. And it was all justified back then because it was pre-pandemic. And that's just what people did. They went to Paris and ate oysters. But now they're <laughs> going to try to shift it and say, really, the problem is the new president because of her her headset that she bought for nothing. And I, I came on that same example, too. I was like, wait a minute, how come the headset costs $900? Like, I'm talking to you right now, Elias, with a headset that I paid $29.99 yep. for. And it works really well. Yep. Like, I think you can hear me clearly. I think that the people listening can hear me fairly clearly. I hope that they can. Is the $900 justified or could she have found something that that she could buy at a more reasonable price? Well, but we have the there answer, is... Justine. The answer to that is, of, of, yes, of, course, of course, it's not it's not yes, justified. But there's a responsibility. There's a responsibility on the part of government employees to to do that and to buy, you know, uh, buy things that are reasonable because mm -hmm. they're using public funds. The, the, literally, the, the the AirPods Max decision. OK. Even yeah. even let, let me tell you something and because I count myself one of them I, I, I'm an Apple person right I got all my Apple products even Apple people view the AirPods Max as an egregious disgusting type of purchase like consumerism yes. to its finest because the, it doesn't make any sense $900 for these headphones. Akil, mm -hmm. the uh, the AirPods Max scandal for the new boss the oysters <laughs> of the old boss heads gonna roll here. What do you think? I don't know that. Oh, man, I wish I could say that I'm confident that heads will roll. Um, Headphones but, uh, will roll. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly ought to. I mean, they heads definitely should roll. I'm think I'm sure we're all in agreement on that. I, I just think it's really uh, it's really obnoxious. Uh, and, and Justine's quite right about this. It's really obnoxious for public employees to have this sense of entitlement to think that they have uh, the leeway. Uh, even if technically under the letter of the law, they do have uh, certain loopholes that allow them to get away with this sort of thing. They should have the integrity to know that this is co a completely inappropriate misuse of public funds. It's not your money. It's money that the government forcibly took away from other people in order to pay for services that need to be provided mm -hmm. uh, collectively. Mm -hmm. Right. So for that reason alone, because of that coercive element to taxation, to me, that alone makes it so important. Uh, to make sure that taxpayers' money is spent appropriately. And that include that includes making sure that even when you are an individual employee out making these kinds of uh, specific purchases, that you make those purchases responsibly and for the public, uh, per for public purposes, for the public mm -hmm. interest. And, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, too many people overlook the fact that, uh, 
you know, just because someone goes to work uh, in the public sector for a government institution or agency, it doesn't mean that they check their natural human instinct to seek their own interest <laughs> at the door, unfortunately. <laughs> There's greed and self-interest in government as well as in the rest of society. But, so and that's why we need oversight. That. That's why exactly. we need oversight. And that's what was missing here was the oversight. So it's like nobody, mm. somebody, because somebody was signing off on those bills and saying this is okay. Like bill after bill was coming in from Chez Alexandre. And mm. somebody at the city of Montreal was signing them and saying that's okay. But can I tell you and something? Like, exactly. Could I, yeah, just, go, I just want to say, like, you know, the restaurant things, you know, people, like, I, I don't think if you're in a big position, you're not going to take people to a cafeteria for a tuna fish sandwich. Okay. So the that. restaurant thing, like, I look at that and I say, okay, well, listen, you have to have limits and have some respect, and there should be hard set limits. X amount of dollars per meal, and that's what we do. But in, to be honest, it's the new boss who's not answering any questions, not doing any interviews, by the way, is completely mm -hmm. avoiding all of this, who spent uh, $20,000 on three TV sets, who spent $50,000 on um, a designer office furniture because the Bureau on Grow Furniture was not good enough for her, and $900 on AirPods Max. Th this, to me, is what stinks to high heaven. And, and, you know, I mean, really, and I, I mean, both of these things shouldn't have happened. Both of these bosses should have done a better job, but that's the one, that's the one that gets me. So, mm -hmm. uh, I, well, I, there's, yeah. there's, there's a problem on both sides. So the problem with, uh, Dominique Olivier and, and good on her though, for you're right, for at least answering questions, like not, not mm. turning her back and, and just hiding, but she came forward and she answered the questions, how she did it is debatable, but, but she did it. But the problem on her side is the fact that she's going to be presenting the budget in a week. So how credible is that? Oh, and then, the pro and of course, the you know, and the problem yeah. with the new president is that she's hiding and that's not acceptable. And, and Valérie Plante has been calling her out on it. So I don't think she's going to last long in that position. There's going to be some some changes for sure. Uh, Justine, just te uh, t uh, technically here, do you know, do you know the mechanisms? Let's say you want to get Isabel, you want to fire Isabel Beaulieu. Is it Valérie Plante who makes that decision? How does how does she get fired? Do you know? Hmm. That's a really good question. I, I think that there's a hiring process that comes through uh, the uh, city council. Mm -hmm. So I imagine that city council would be able to get rid of somebody as well, but I'm not sure exactly no, how no, it works. Don't quote me on that. No matter what, let's say- <laughs> I'm imagining, yeah, yeah. But if the entire city council were to pass a motion saying we call mm -hmm. on Isabel Beaulieu to resign and everyone does it, that would be that would be the moral suasion needed to get her to go, right? That I guess For that's sure. how it works. Yeah. The stories making waves in Montreal. The Big Five with Elias Makos from News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. Yes, indeed. We supersized the Big Five this morning, continuing here with Akil Aline, reporter, commentator, manager of the Gemstar Circle of Excellence, and Justine McIntyre, strategic consultant and former city councilor. Guys, during the uh, during the newscast and the break, I actually had to do a Google search. Let me take off my headphones because I did a, a Google search for the headphones that I wear. Uh, it's the Sony MDR 7506. This is top-notch professional headphones. This is not consumer headphones. They're professional headphones. And in fact, when you go onto Google and you type in the first three letters, Sony MDR, auto-completes this exact model number because they're so classic. $149. Best-in-class headphones. Wow. They don't have Bluetooth. Wow. They don't have Bluetooth. Hey. They don't have Bluetooth, but they're $149. Bucks. Just want to point that out. Uh, Justine, do you know what the model your headphones are? I have a listener that wants to know. What model headphones oh, do you have, Justine? Let me check. Let me check real quick. Let me Let's take see. them off. Let's see how this works. Do we have a brand... Br plugs for brands i mean they're 
Yeah, they're Sony, but oh, uh, really? what the actual brand is, I'm not sure. But they're Sony, but they're like the basic, basic model. That's yeah. not, Well, listen, they work. Okay, so now you know about the <laughs> headphone situation, and uh, let's move on with the other topics here. Let's talk about this. Franz Kafka is looking at this and saying, wow, this is a really good story. I should write this one. The English Montreal School Board has filed a lawsuit. Uh, they, they say that English boards should not be required to communicate in French to other Anglos, Anglo institutions. Here's an example. A principal of an English school has to write in French when reaching out to the English language arts teachers about a training workshop that will take place in English. Okay? But this this is Bill 96. You apply Bill 96, mm-hmm. letter of the law, and get the OQLF and their squad of inspectors. This is what's going to happen. Joe is in court all morning. He's going to join us at 11.50, by the way, at the end of this program to tell us more. Um, you know, has this province gone too far? I think it's gone too far. Uh, but what, you know, what, what's behind this Kafkaesque bureaucratic nightmare of imposing what language Anglos need to speak to other Anglos? What do you say, Akil? Uh, what's behind it is the age old, what is it now? What, like almost half a century old tradition now in Quebec politics of, uh, Nationalists, Quebec nationalists, always seeking new areas where they can squeeze the uh, freedoms and the prerogatives of the linguistic and cultural minorities in Quebec, right? The idea is we uh, live in a French-speaking society, that we're an island of French in a continental sea or ocean of English, and our language and culture are basically constantly threatened and therefore we must always remain vigilant about protecting the French language and culture. The only way that they can do that or at least uh, think of doing it is by every you know decade or so coming up with new ways to try to restrict the, uh, the, the freedoms of everyone who speaks any other language in this province, particularly English. Uh, like I've said on this show in the past, that doesn't actually do anything to tackle the main source of the cultural pressure that uh, the French language faces, which is really American pop culture more than anything. There's nothing the Quebec government can really do about that effectively. So all it can do is squeeze those of us uh, English speakers who are within its jurisdiction. But that doesn't mean every measure they take actually does anything to protect or advance the French language and culture. Mm -hmm. This does absolutely nothing in that regard. It is intrusive. I think it is unfair um, and it's it's I wouldn't necessarily say it's a solution in search of a problem, but it does not solve whatever problem does exist here. If you want to protect French language, the French language from erosion. This is not the way to do it, to prevent English school boards from communicating in English with other English speaking institutions or individuals. What sense does that make? I can't imagine. for the life. And here's the thing, like the history of this province, you know, the, the, we've had PQ governments. Louise Baudouin was language minister. Never mm-hmm. tried to pull stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Justine, what's going on? Akil was just so eloquent there. I got caught up in his poetry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, I think though, Akil, that you gave a really good description of the why and, and of the what's behind it. And there is a legitimate concern. And I do want to say it's a legitimate concern on the part of French-speaking Quebecers for the decline of the French language. And at this point, it's like they're they're looking for every single way, everything that they can do to try to shore up the French language. But this is misguided. This is misguided. There are things that you can do in terms of vitality, linguistic vitality, in terms of demographic vitality, in terms of culture, cultural production. We saw the huge cuts that happened at TVA. 
that's not mm. going to help the French language at all. So we need to do more to support mm. French culture, do more to support French media, media production, cultural production, content production. That needs to be happening. And looking at English schools, and it's not just English schools, but how the people working within the English schools are communicating with one another. I mean, not only is it misguided, it's simply not going to happen. You can't stop people, two people, from using their native language to speak to one another. Well, you can. I mean, when I mean, this is the government. Like, like the government says, you can is going to court. They, they're, sure, they're gonna, they're gonna, they might try, yeah. but they're never gonna be able to implement that. They're just mm. not. And I just can't see, you know, a principal addressing his teachers or school board members sending communiques to one another about an upcoming meeting. And that somebody's going to denounce that and send it to the government and they're going to be fined. It does become Kafkaesque at a certain point. And I believe that the government is going to have to roll this one back. All right, guys, let me squeeze in one more topic as we get to five on the big five this morning. Let's talk about adoption. Let's talk about adoption for, uh, for a second here. So as of June 2024, any person who was adopted will be allowed to know the names of their biological parents, whether the uh, parents, the biological parents want to or not. Uh, what do you think about this? You know, if someone made uh, that wish, keep their identity concealed when they gave up their child. I mean, uh, you know, I, I've uh, never faced that situation. I wasn't adopted. I don't know this. Maybe you guys have some stories here that, that can add some insight on this. Um, wh- what are your thoughts? Uh, is it is it uh, should it be up to that adopted child? Should they should have every right to find out who their biological parents are? That'll be the change in June of 2024. Justine, what do you say? I'm all for preserving family secrets. I think that there are a lot of things that can happen within families that are not meant to be revealed. People have a right to their privacy. They have a right to secrecy. And I I believe that one of the reasons why so many children were adopted was because that right was guaranteed to parents. So if we now go back and remove that right, it's, uh, I mean, that, what, what can that create in terms of outcomes of uh, unwanted pregnancies Mm -hmm. is maybe leading to more people choosing abortion rather than choosing adoption. And I think that that's potentially something we're seeing already. So we're living in a period where big data is the norm. Uh, where access to to access to information is the norm. And it's unfortunately, we're losing our relationship to to family secrets and to the importance of you know preserving mm-hmm. people's really their their intimacy and their right to privacy well Justine just got me thinking there because what what does happen if someone was uh, you know used to be told you can give this child up for adoption, it will be your right. secret. no one will ever know. And now they're That's like, right. oh, by the way, someone's going to know. <laughs> uh, what What are the choices made by that by that mother? Uh, Akil, mm-hmm. you're going to get the last word this morning. What do you say? You know, this is one of those remarkable situations where I've actually started to do an about face on a topic right in the middle of the conversation, <laughs> just from listening to what yeah. My, yeah. my my fellow dis, uh, participants have said. Because I came into this conversation saying, you know, I tend, I have mixed feelings about this issue, which I do. I see merits on both sides. I tended to sympathize at first with the interest of the adopted child uh, who didn't ask to be brought into the world and wants to know more about his or her uh, origins. And I figured, well, you know, the adult who gave them up for adoption, they had some choice in the matter, presumably. And so I was willing to sort of uh, break the tie in favor of the child. But then when I listened to Justine's very cogent (laughs) argument just now about incentives, and thank you for reminding me of that, Justine, because I should know better. I'm usually big on incentive-based analysis. So uh, thanks for reminding me of that. Uh, You've got a very good point. Um, If you uh, decide to roll back privacy protections in this area, what 
impact is that likely to have on mm -hmm. people's decision to give up their children for adoption uh, in the first place, you know? So uh, now that you've uh, brought that to my attention, I tend now having reconsidered the issue to come down on uh, the side of privacy as well. So on, thank you, Justine. On the, <laughs> on the text line, Patty and DDO writes, I'm adopted. I don't think this is right. We're going to have to leave it there. Uh, Akilah Lee and Justine McIntyre, thanks for joining us. That's the Big Five for this morning. Catch the Big Five, weekday mornings at 9.05. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800 in Montreal.